When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Salah falls steam ahead. Mohamed Salah puts the ball into a ring. Okay, let's face it, the Reds haven't needed to rely on a super sub of late to dig them out, but they're even special on that front when it's needed. Another demonstration of what Divock can do, set Liverpool top of the league at Molyneux, or momentarily anyway. That plus Salah's contract and Harvey Elliott's uh, rehab on the pod today. I'm Steve Hobbersall, and on today's Red Agenda, James Pearce and Neil Jones from Goal.com. Both of them are down at Molyneux for what was quite a sensational finish to a game. Um, Divock James, he just has that habit, doesn't he? <laughs> he certainly does, Steve. Yeah, it was um, another incredible chapter in, in a Liverpool story that you kind of, you, you keep on thinking it's probably run its course and and then Divock Origi drags you back in and, and proves that he's still got so much left to offer. When you think of players in Liverpool's history that we've been lucky enough to witness and, you know, of course there's been more you know, obviously players with, with greater quality players who have who have um, you know have, have, have starred for longer periods. But I think when you look at players who have enjoyed such an array of spine tingling moments, he's in a very very elite group. I think when you look at you know, he's only scored thirty nine goals for Liverpool, and I think you know he's been here what since the summer of twenty fifteen. But so many of those goals have been important. So many of them have resonated. You know, right from. You know, you think about the, the the goal against Everton in the ninety sixth minute. You think about the the two against Barcelona, the the Champions League final in Madrid, the winner at Newcastle that took the title race down to the final day, and Saturday was another one for the collection. And um, yeah, Liverpool have been playing fantastically well recently, but I think you know quite often winning a game in that manner can actually do a lot more for you than than winning by three or four. Oh, absolutely. Mentally, absolutely superb. I haven't got the stats on this, Neil. I don't know whether you do. But how many games has he actually played? And what is his ratio? Do you know that? I do, actually. Um, luckily, I've got a piece coming out on him tomorrow. So ah. I've got to do all this. this recent. He's played 166 games for Liverpool. He's completed 90 minutes 25 times. Wow. His time at Liverpool. He's played, that was his 100th substitute appearance. So he started 66 games. Uh, and in his in his time in, at the club, he's, he started 34 Premier League games, which is remarkable, really, when you think about it. You know, I heard Danny Murphy and Jermaine Genus on Match of the Day 2 on Sunday saying, you know, why would you stay? You know, they, they were basically saying, if, I, if that was my lot, I'd have gone a long time ago. And it, it, it is remarkable. I mean, I, I, one of the lines I wrote, you know, we, we talked about the century of Salah and Mane getting 100 Premier League goals this season, both, both reached that landmark, Divock reached 100 substitute appearances on, on, on Saturday. And when you when you look back, you think it was inevitable, wasn't it, that he was going to score? You think if any, if ever there was a sort of a, a story there that what would Divock Origi do on his 100th substitute appearance for Liverpool? Of course, he was going to get a 94th, 95th minute winner. You know, it, it's just sort of, it's just what he does. And I was actually sat next to James at Molyneux and I had David Lynch from the Sunday Mirror to, next to me. And when Virgil picked up the ball, 
at the back, I, I sort of just said out loud, I said 90 seconds left. You know, I had the clock in front of me, I said 90 seconds left. And obviously, what, 10 seconds later, the ball's in the back of the net. You know, it's just, it's very Liverpool. It's very Divock Origi. It's very sort of um, apt, I think. And I was also thinking about this. I text all three of us will know Neil Mellor quite well. And he was sort of the person I used to use as an example of, you know, not many appearances, not many goals, but always big moments, you know, sort of as a ratio. And I think Divock has probably overtaken Neil Mellor in that sense of, you know, so many of his moments are, are memorable, vital, crucial, you know, spark these wild away away ends or, or home ends. And he'll always be remembered by Liverpool fans, despite never, you know, never probably getting in their, their best 11 at any point of, of his time at the club. Which is the mad thing, isn't it? And actually, you know, as punters working in the press or fans, you're thinking, well, Jürgen must have given him some detailed information on the touchline, you know, press the fullback, do this or that. He just said, do a Divock, James. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the great thing with Divock Origi is he does give you something new. I think, I think as good as Liverpool's front three are, and you know, it's it's really become front four, hasn't it, with with how well Jota has adjusted to life at Liverpool. But but Origi is different. He's not just a finisher. You know, he he is you know a more physical presence. He he holds the ball up well. He can bring players into play. You know, he can drop off short. He can burst in behind. You know, he is a nightmare. I think for tiring defenders. When you look at his goals as well, I think eleven of his thirty nine for Liverpool have been scored after the eighty third minute. That's you know not far off a third of his goals in the in the latter stages of of matches. And that that's why he is such a great option to bring on. And yeah, I, I, I quite like that fact that, that you know Divock said that the club kept it pretty basic in terms of just just go out there and and beat Divock Origi and be a nuisance, put yourself about. You know, and he came up with the, with the goods, and he you know he made he made that look incredibly straightforward. I mean, I think it was a fantastic team goal. A little bit of a helping hand, you'd say, from an ex Liverpool youngster in Kajana Hoover, who obviously gave the ball away, and then you know left them slightly exposed. But the the quality of the ball from Van Dijk was. Was ludicrous that crossfield pass, and then you know, as for the first touch from Mo Salah to to burst away from Hoover and pick Origi out, but even then, you know, to control with his right spin and convert so clinically with his left was a special moment. And um, you know, it was no secret that Origi, you know, would have would have left in the summer if Liverpool had 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 a suitable offer for him. Klopp's admitted that you know a couple of times since that he expected you know clubs to come in for him because he said you know. He is such a, you know, in, in his head, such a gifted striker who deserves to be playing more. I think, you know, it's not very often you hear a manager say, like Klopp did at the weekend, you know, I really hope Divock Origi finds a manager who plays him much more than I do. But um, I think what we do know is he won't be going anywhere anytime soon because, uh, you know, thank God he did stay put in the summer and that Liverpool didn't get an offer of around 15 to 20 million, which would have convinced them to sell. Because um, he's come back strong, and I think I think there was no, there was nothing wrong with people in the summer saying they thought the time was probably right for a parting of the ways. Because Origi contributed very very little last season. You can't get away from that. I think his only goal in all comps was the seventh in a seven two win at, at Lincoln. So um, I don't think anyone's backtracking and and saying you know it's uh, you know we believed in him all along because he he had his Anfield career had lurched alarmingly off track to the point where you thought. It probably was beyond salvaging, but you know credit to him because once once those offers didn't come in, and the way he is with he's such a relaxed, laid back personality, he's not the kind of person that's going to go banging on Klopp's door and demanding a move. You know he loves it at Liverpool, and you know it does take a certain type to I guess accept a bit part role, 
but he's come back really strong. And, you know, he's got himself back in the Belgium squad as well. You know, I think that was, that was another sign of how far he'd fallen, the fact he wasn't even on the standby list for the Euros for Belgium. But he's, he's back in the mix with that, you know, and, um, yeah, scoring goals, assists as well so far this season. And his importance to Klopp is going to grow with the African Cup of Nations on the horizon. Let's get into that idea of being a, a super sub, Neil. I'm, I'm a fan of David Fairclough, of, as a lot of people would be. He scored a brilliant derby winning goal in 76 when they went on to win the, the title. And of course, his Saint-Étienne moment. So he had those moments. But actually, latterly in life, and he released a book a couple of years ago called Super Sub. But actually, maybe if you went back 10 years, he wasn't always that fond of being known as a sub, was he? And I just wonder what the, the mentality is for a player like Divock Origi and how you keep yourself actually mentally prepared after seven years to still just be playing a bit part. You're a footballer. You, you want to play the whole game. Yeah, it, it is difficult. I think, to be honest, we don't really know much about Divock Origi, you know, in terms of... Because obviously he doesn't play, have long periods. So when, when he's been in the side, we haven't really done many many sort of mix zone interviews with him or that kind of thing because he's not really he's not really in the mix zone or we're talking to in the mix zone because he's been an unused sub but he's been you know, not in the squad I might be wrong I'm sure James did you do a sit down with him in America when we, we were over there a couple of years back yeah that was in the kind of the start of pre-season after the Champions League final wasn't it yeah yeah I mean and that's probably you know the one real interview I can remember sort of anyone doing with him where you might find out anything about him we hear these little snippets about him in James Milner's book that he's you know Mr. Laid Back and if there's a team meeting or a team meal he just wanders in sort of 30 seconds before it's due to start and it's quite apt that isn't it you know that he's sort of he's never late but he's just there at the right time you know just just perfectly perfectly placed to just turn up and sit down and take his seat but we don't know too much about him so it's hard to get a handle on sort of what he is thinking and I don't get the impression that he's particularly worried by anything or that he, he thinks particularly deeply about about his own situation he, I think he just accepts things and, and and just you know life is life that kind of mentality and in a way it's sort of exactly what Jürgen would need, isn't it? You know, Jürgen's very loyal to, to players who do who do well for him. He'll never cut someone like Divock Origi adrift. He'll be fair to them. And if Divock was to come and say, look, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out of this club. You know, I can't sit here for another season and play in the League Cup and, you know, come on in dead rubber Champions League games or whatever. I need to go. I don't think Jürgen would say, no, 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 no. You're, you're under contract. You're staying, you know. I think he would be very fair to him. But also... By the same token, that means he's fair to players who are playing ahead of him. So Salah wants to play every minute. Mane wants to play every minute. He loves Firmino. Obviously, Jota's come in and, and done fantastically well since he signed. There's no, there's nothing he can give him more than what he's given him at the moment, I suppose. But that is ideal for Liverpool because it's not a problem. It's not a headache. It's just a player that it doesn't matter if he's out of the fold for, for one game, two games, two months, six months, a year as he was. You know, he went on loan at one stage to, to Wolfsburg and we didn't, we, you know, we, we never thought we'd see him again in a red shirt. And he comes back and, and makes a contribution. And that is, you know, that is priceless for a manager when, when you, you know, you're trying to juggle a squad and, and juggle a, a team that's going to compete for Premier League, Champions League and maybe more beyond. I've had him in the um, the Carlsberg lounge a couple of times. Obviously, man of the match after the, the Everton goal and, and the Barcelona game. And, and I don't know him that well, but from what Milner said, absolutely spot on. He's so laid back, he is almost falling over. Um, do you think there's an element, James, of actually staying at Liverpool? He's, he's looking at what they've won, the Champions League, the Premier League, they could win another one. Is, it, is that an incentive in any way? Is it, does that make up for not playing full games of football? The idea that actually you can just add to your trophy cabinet? Yeah, 100%. I think, because he, he knows realistically, doesn't he, Divock Origi, that 
the day he leaves Liverpool, he'll be taking a step down. And you get some players who I think different types of personality in Origi's situation would 100% have left. They would have agitated, they would have pushed, they would have been a menace around the training ground, you know, because they wouldn't have been able to handle just, you know, because he's not a kid, what is he, 26 now? You know, it's, um, just wouldn't be able to handle being given such a limited role and even, you know, he, you know, even making big contributions and then going back to being a substitute. You know, it's not it's not as even as if he, he knows that, he could score, you know, for argument's sake. I, I imagine he'll probably start the game if he's if he's fit against AC Milan on Tuesday night, and he, you know, he could score a hat trick. You know full well he isn't going to be starting against Aston Villa um, in the Premier League on Saturday. That's the situation he's in. For him, you know, it has always been about the the bigger picture. You know, he, he loves being at Liverpool. He loves the city. I think you only have to look at what was it back in September. He he linked up with the University of Liverpool, where he's now paying for for two students, all their tuition fees, like a Divock Origi scholarship. I mean, I know people would say, well, it's only a little thing for someone who, you know, who obviously earns a hell of a lot of money, but it's still, it's still the type of gesture that a lot of players don't, don't really go down the route of. And I think it shows, you know, it, the, the, the bond that he does have with the place. And, um, and, and also he, he will feel that love, you know, you only have to, you know, I don't think you need too many moments like he has on Saturday, just to like remind you of, Wow, what an incredible club to be a part of this is! And when you get that adulation from the fans, I mean, you know, yeah, he could. You know what? In a parallel universe, he would have been leading the line against Liverpool on Saturday because you know Liverpool did the deal with Wolves to sell him for twenty-two million quid three and a half years ago. But he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay and and fight for his place. And you know, he would have played a lot more if he'd gone elsewhere. But what would he have won? Probably, probably nothing. He certainly wouldn't have his place in Anfield folklore having won the Champions League and the Premier League. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how long it goes on for. Because I think, because you know, I think there probably will come a time when surely other clubs do wake up and think, well, actually, and test that resolve with a with a decent sized bid. I think probably COVID probably helped Liverpool a little bit in terms of the circumstances that that led to him staying. Because I think probably in a non COVID affected transfer market. They they uh, they probably would have got those kind of offers, but um, yeah, thankfully he stayed put. And he, uh, you know, it's the thing with Divock Origi is he, he, I I find him very frustrating at times because I think he's got everything you'd want in a centre forward. Like you, when you think back to when that first full season at Liverpool, twenty fifteen sixteen, you know, prior to being chopped down by Funes Mori in the Merseyside derby when he suffered that that horrible ankle ligament injury. He was absolutely flying. You know, you're talking about a striker that started a World Cup quarter final at the age of 18. You know, he hasn't really, I'd say, fulfilled his full potential yet. He has had these amazing moments along the way. And, you know, in footballing terms, he's still relatively young. And I really hope that he can go on and, and, and achieve more more uh, iconic moments. Neil, list his, uh, his moments one to three for <laughs> you in importance. Or three to one. Let's do, let's do a countdown. Number three. Uh, number three, Everton. Number three. Oof, um, third, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a league game in in December, isn't it? I mean, it was. Oh it, come it, on! It was great. It's the funniest. <laughs> it's the funniest, and it's the you know, it's it's the one. It might be the one I enjoyed at the time the most because obviously it was you knew it was a match winner, you know. But importance, I think it's number three, which it says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah. Amazing side derby winner, Cop End, ninety fourth minute, number three. Uh, number two would be the the Champions League final goal because obviously it was a great moment in terms of the, you know, you knew it was done when he'd done it, but they probably still would have won without it. So I'll give I'll give that number two. 
fantastic. You know, it was one of those let offs, obviously. That thank God for that, really. Uh, and then number one would be the the Barca the Barca game because obviously, look, that that is, I don't think that'll ever be topped as an Anfield moment for me or an Anfield night for me. The fact that three <laughs> 0 down, Lionel Messi playing against you, Mo Salah out, Bobby Firmino out, Andy Robertson off half time, four 0 and the manner in which he came as well with this corner, sort of out of nowhere, no one expecting it. What would you write on his his sort of his Anfield obituary when he leaves? I think it would be Steve Hunter's iconic line of corner taken quickly, Rigi. What about the, the the bigger picture of all this? It's a shame Simon Hughes isn't on the pod today because we know how many months he chuntered on about that Aston Villa game a couple of seasons ago, James. And and it does feel a little bit like one of those moments, doesn't it, this season? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that was that win at Villa Park in the in the title winning season was probably in everyone's minds after after that late drama at Molyneux. Because I think those moments can just be so big in the context of a season. I didn't I didn't think Liverpool played particularly poorly on the day. I thought um you know they created more than enough chances to win the game. They weren't at their fluent best, but I think there were there were reasons for that with the wind was whipping around Molyneux and, you know, they're, they're not an easy team to face. You know, I think that you can't just expect to go and just roll over teams. I think, you know, what they seventh or eighth in the league before the weekend Wolves and, um, and they were, they were set up very negatively. You know, you'd have to say that in terms of, you know, for a team at home in the top half of the table, they, they, they looked so scared about what Liverpool could have done to them that, you know, they, they didn't really try and ask too many questions of Liverpool because they were so, worried about leaving space to exploit and they became very difficult to break down but you know you know I think probably the most relieved man inside Molyneux after would have been Diogo Jota after um you know what one of the most extraordinary misses I think you'll see certainly this season and for many a season because um yeah I, I don't know I don't know what, what was going through his head maybe because it was his old club maybe he felt the need to just absolutely hammer it home with a with a flourish but you know when you look at some of the still frames of of that position he was in when, you know, the keeper stranded so much of the net to aim at to just hammer the ball against Connor Cody in the way he did. I mean, the feelings are just very different, aren't they? Because can you imagine coming away from there on Saturday night and me and Neil travelled back together and it was one of the most hairy, horrible journeys back from an away game I think I've ever had with one of those ones where, you know, you're aquaplaning up the M6 and <laughs> the um, your, your windscreen wipers are on full whack and you could still can't see with... HGV lorries throwing water up on at you and the and imagine if that had ended goalless and you're thinking oh my god you know that that Jota chance two points it would have felt like a defeat and then the flip side of that is when you know when you get a moment like that it's twofold as well isn't it because it's what it does for Liverpool in terms of you know that they would have absolutely you know the mood in the dressing room after would have been absolutely buzzing you know it's same at Kirby today walking back into work on the back of that and also what it does to Liverpool's rivals, because you can guarantee that, like, for Chelsea and City especially, you know, they, they would have been following that. And then, oh, 93rd, 94th minute, Liverpool still drawing at Wolves. And then, bang, you know, it's like, you know, that was the Liverpool of the title-winning season. You know, obviously the true value of it will only know, will only know come May, but... Um, it felt massive. Yeah, it feels like it could be a, a critical moment, doesn't it? Um, let's talk a little bit on Mo Salah. So he did an, uh, an interview with Egyptian TV and um, essentially they've obviously asked him about his contract again, haven't they, Neil? And he's... So what, did he, what was the quote? He said he's happy that a club like Barcelona show an interest in him, but he's happy at Liverpool. 
Then he went on to say something which really sort of got the cogs turning. He reaffirmed that the decision isn't up to him. He'd like to stay. The decision is in the hands of the Liverpool management. So yet again, he's thrown this grenade over, hasn't he, to the Liverpool hierarchy? Yeah, I mean, he's only reiterated what we, what he said what he said before. You know, I want to stay. I think he played lip service to Barcelona, really, didn't he? I think he said, mm. yeah, lovely to be linked with a club like Barcelona, but I want to stay in the Premier League. He said, that's the best league in the world. I mean, let's be but fair. But it's going Barcelona. on, isn't it, Neil? Goodness me. Yeah, this of, is... co- of, of course it is. <laughs> Listen, you know, the one thing that's clear is the longer it goes on, Mo Salah's case is only getting stronger, isn't it, for what he, what he, he, whatever demands he has, because he's hardly gone off the boil or slowing down in terms of his form so it's not doing him any harm the longer it goes on in terms of his, his negotiating position because his, his form is incredible but I think he made it clear he doesn't he doesn't want to leave Liverpool I think I think we've known that he certainly won't be signing for Barcelona because I don't think they could afford his playing ticket never mind never mind his um, his wages and his, his transfer fee signing on fee whatever it may be so or match his ambitions yeah yeah exactly that yeah exactly that so I mean it's difficult to see a situation where he does move to Barcelona or Real Madrid to be perfectly honest in, in this this moment in time but the longer it goes on the more it gets filled by things like like this you know we're talking about what what can Liverpool do it's clear the problem is what Liverpool are willing or able to offer them what Mo wants I still personally think there will be a resolution found at some point I think I think they will they will come together and I think they have to come together personally. I don't think how can how can a club like Liverpool that's in a position that it's in at the moment where it's on the cusp of winning big trophies and I think will be for the next few years if it plays its cards right, how can it let the best player in the world, you know, I think he is. I think a lot of people would agree. How can they let him walk away from the club and go and perform the way he will perform for the next few years somewhere else? They just they can't do it. So I think there will be a resolution found, but I would speak for the entire Liverpool fan base and probably Mo and all his um, all his people. It'd be nice if it happened quite soon. Yeah, we we didn't learn anything new, James, did we? I mean, obviously he added another assist in the game. So what's that? Nine assists, nineteen goals out of twenty games. The ratio just keeps getting better. Yeah, 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 and I think you know that's probably an under underappreciated side of his game that he is so much more than than just a goal scorer. And the the, the numbers certainly back that up. Yeah, I, I didn't think there was anything worrying or new in those latest comments I think it was just a continuation of a of a theme wasn't it in terms of um, his stance all the way along has been that it's kind of out of his hands which I understand where where he's coming from there but it, you know it's it's not completely out of his hands is he because it, you know it's he is he is part of the process in terms of the negotiating and you know we know with Mo Salah that you know yes of course he's got people that do do that talking on his behalf but he's a he also is integral to that but yeah as Neil said you know with every passing week with every commanding performance he puts in his hand just gets stronger I agree that I think I think common sense at the moment dictates that some kind of resolution will come about because yeah, I think you also have to look at well, what what are his other options you know the Barcelona Real Madrid route I'm just not convinced is there anymore in terms of how could they make that work financially, especially if, you know, as we're led to believe, you know, Mbappe would be Real Madrid bound um, next summer. You know, that only really leaves his option as PSG, you'd say, in terms of a move elsewhere. And you know, would he really want to go to PSG? He said himself, you know, the Premier League is the best league in the world and it's here I want to stay. And I think also you look at whether a player is, does he look happy? Does he look like he's content where he is? 
You know, is he got a manager that gets the best out of him? Is he adored by his teammates, the fan base? I just think why why would you possibly walk away from that? And I can understand why fans get a bit edgy and think, you know, why is it taking this long? But it's a negotiating process. He's still got, you know, eighteen months left on his deal. Personally I think the time to worry would be if we're still sat here discussing similar comments from Salah in, in May, because I think then suddenly you're in a situation then where he's entering his last year and then it's like, well, hang on a minute. How would you even try and replace Mo Salah? You can't. He's he's absolutely irreplaceable. And by the same token, you can't just you can't just give him exactly whatever he wants because, you know, of course, there's wage structures and everything else. But yeah, certainly the cost of it, trying to replace him has to be factored into Liverpool's decision-making and, and that, let's hope they can get that done. I was going to say, I think there's another factor there for Mo as well is I would be looking at sort of Gini Wijnaldum and Philip Coutinho and saying, well, I would have thought they both thought, well, okay, I'm leaving Liverpool, but it'll all be great. You know, I'm going to this great club. I'd maybe even look at Messi going to PSG and Cristiano Ronaldo going to Manchester United. And you think, doesn't matter how good a player you are, you do still need the right situation around you. You need the you need the right club. He knows he's got that at Liverpool. You know, he, he might not be completely happy with whatever they're offering him at the moment or how, how long it's taken him to offer him, but he knows that the team's there that's going to enable him to flourish. It is a risk. No matter how good a player you are, if you change clubs at 29, 30, beyond, even the best in the world, the greatest players in the in the history of the game, or some of them are still finding it difficult to adapt. So does he want to risk that? You know, he talks in that interview about the Ballon d'Or and how he's, you know, he's convinced he's the best player in the world, how he he's he's adamant that he's gonna win these awards one day. Personally, I think the best way or the best chance he's got is at Liverpool. I think it's a, a far likelier prospect of him staying at Liverpool and winning those awards than it is him going to wherever, Paris Saint-Germain or Bayern Munich or wherever it may be. So I think from his point of view as well, he's not soft, Mo Salah. He realises that if he wants to achieve all the things that he wants to achieve, there's a better chance of doing it at Anfield. Salah and Mane both started against Porto, but with this last group game in Group B, Neil, are we likely to see more wholesale changes in this eleven? Yeah, I think there's a greater scope for it, obviously with players coming back. So you think of the bench Saturday, you've got Milner, you've got Oxlade-Chamberlain came on for, for the last... Obviously, Divock came on, you've got Minamino unused, Canate, Nico Williams, Simakas. So I think there's, there's more scope for Liverpool to make what you would call safe first team changes you know you're not you're not putting out me you and James into the back four and that kind of thing so there is an opportunity there to, to make a sort of to, to just do a first team rotation obviously got Naby Keita Joe Gomez back in training as well I think probably going to train later today at, at Kirby and potential for them to, to play an hour maybe or, or, or be on the bench so there, there is scope for that I would expect probably Mane and Salah to, to be on the bench at best on, on, on Tuesday and I think that that makes sense with the fixtures coming up you've got obviously Villa Saturday you've got Newcastle then there's obviously that that run of games coming up to Christmas with Tottenham Leicester Chelsea all all involved around that time as well Leeds so I think I would expect those two to, to be rested out I, I, I'd be amazed if we saw Virgil I'd be amazed if we saw Fabinho Trent maybe even Allison as well in the starting lineup but the good news for Liverpool is after that sort of period where it, you know they were struggling to find midfielders, they've now got they've now got the options to do it. They've obviously got good options, backup um, in defence, so they do have the scope to do it. And they showed in the last round, didn't they? You know they played Tyler Morton in midfield. They gave some games, obviously Simakas, Nico I think played the last the last game. Didn't he Porto? He he started that as well. 
that they can still win Champions League games even with even with the replacements in. So I don't have too many concerns about whatever team Jurgen picks over in Milan. And whilst it's been five out of five, James, for Liverpool, the rest of the group, they've got a real tussle on their hands. There's something riding on this race in Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going, gone down to the wire, hasn't it, for that, that, that second place in the group, I think. Certainly from Liverpool's perspective, it's just lovely to not be part of it, isn't it? To, to not have any late drama. I think we've had enough final day Champions League group games under Klopp where it was it felt like it was all or nothing. So yeah, to, to have five out of five on the board is uh, it's fantastic. I think I think for Klopp it will be another balancing act where you can't just dismiss it because there's still two and a half million quid on the line for you know, for if Liverpool could make it six wins out of six in the group stage. But um but yeah, I think this one does feel different to Porto at home. I think just with the travelling as well. You know, I I just think why would you with the month that Liverpool have got coming up, what is it? I think nine games in total in all comps. You don't want to be taking any stupid risks. And I think, you know, I think what will probably influence Klopp is he's seen enough already this season to know that the trust is there, that he can put his faith in in some of those fringe players and they won't let him down. You know, you look at someone like Tyler Morton, I wouldn't have any concerns about chucking him in at the San Siro. You know, as Neil said, you know, Nico Williams, you'd, you'd have thought Costa Simicus would, would start as well on the other side, you know, Canate definitely needs another game, potentially Nat Phillips alongside him, if Joe Gomez isn't quite ready yet, and obviously Oxlade, Origi. So that seems like the most obvious thing for me because, um, yeah, let's, there's a pretty big game on the horizon against Villa on Saturday. Right, let's finish uh, the Red Agenda with a word on Harvey Elliott. James has written on it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it, Neil. Have you, have you read his piece? Basically, he, he's saying he's progressing really well, making rapid progress. He's obviously got a brilliant mentality about himself, Neil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about old head on young shoulders, if you if you if you use that sort of phrase, which is you know a bit of a cliche in football, but I think Harvey Elliott is probably if you look at that next to the, in the in the, uh, the the dictionary, I think he his his face would be there, wouldn't it? I mean, he's absolutely worked his way into Liverpool fans' hearts, despite playing what you know four four starts or something like that, <laughs> yeah. is it in the Premier League? You know, it's 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 remarkable. I think it's refreshing to see a young player that it's not... So Harvey Elliott's sort of profile is not about the flashy, you know, I want to show you all these nutmegs that I do or, you know, like these sort of flashy bling cars or, what you know, whatever it may be that you might say the trappings of a young footballer that, that, that you, we would associate. He just looks absolutely delighted that he's playing for Liverpool and that he's sort of, you know, he, like he can't believe his luck almost how good's my life here? You know, like I, I get to wake up every morning and go in and go on the exercise bike at Kirby and, and do me rehab. You know, he just he just feels, he seems like he's grateful for it and that's really refreshing, I think, for a young player because we do associate, you know, footballers, rightly or wrongly, with getting carried away or, you know, believing their own hype or whatever it may be. For me, he just looks like he, he loves playing for Liverpool and I think, you know, I know from my, my own Facebook and Twitter interactions, Liverpool fans can't wait to see him back playing for Liverpool. You know, they've been taken with him both as a player and as a person. And I think the sooner he's back, the better. But obviously it's a it's a tough injury. You know, we you could see you could see we all saw the pictures, we all saw the footage when it when it happened. We knew it was going to be a long time, a long recovery for him. But, you know, he doesn't seem to have um let that affect him at all. He's, he seems to be of the perfect mindset for someone who's recovering from an injury like that. And you know, hopefully before the end of the season we see him we see him out there. James, where's he up to in his in his rehab now? What you know? What time scale are we expecting? Yeah, but back out, obviously running at, at Kirby and um, doing really well. I think you know, when you think it's 
it's 12 weeks now since that traumatic afternoon for him at Ellen Road with the, the fracture dislocation of his left ankle. And um, yeah, I think the positive news from the people I've spoken to is you know the, the damage around the joint could have been a lot more severe. I think um, there isn't you know kind of one prognosis with an injury like this. They vary massively in terms of the damage done in terms of fractures and also ligament damage. And I think two things that struck me, one were was the the quality of the care and the medical expertise he got on the day being so crucial with you know Chris Morgan Liverpool's physio and Jim Mox and the club doctor were you know they they were on the scene within 7 seconds of him going down in agony um and within 20 seconds they'd put his his ankle joint back in place and and I'm told that's that's huge in terms of limiting nerve damage and and blood vessel damage um so that certainly helped him and, and also I think you know as Neil touched on before his mentality his professionalism and dedication to his rehab because um you know I spoke to, to someone close to him who said that you know he, he hasn't moaned once in all those 12 weeks so he, he sees every day as being one step closer to to pulling on a Liverpool shirt again and that is that's what's kept him going I think you know clearly Klopp has played paid a played a part as well in terms of his pep talks and and also I think the number of senior players at Liverpool that that love him and have looked out for him and and given him advice because of course you know there's there's no shortage of Liverpool players there from Van Dijk to Gomez to Henderson who have been through lengthy rehabs themselves so um so yeah because the the, the nature of the injury he he's been working towards a kind of four to five month rehab program as opposed to six or seven months so um I think you know the definitive timescales are tricky because um you know, every step of the way, as they increase the intensity of the training load, you can have little minor setbacks. You know, I think, you know, it's it, there's some stiffness in the joint, which is obviously is to be expected. So I don't think we can say with any certainty when we'll see him back yet. But, you know, certainly at some stage in January, back in team training is the target currently. And then obviously then it's just a case of how long does he need to get up to speed. But, you know, the prospect of having Harvey Elliott back available for... You know, maybe even the last three months of the season would be huge for Klopp. Check out James's piece on The Athletic now and uh, a multitude of pieces that Neil's written on Goal.com, which are all fabulous as well. Thanks, Steve. Just give a shout out for that one. Thank you very much, Neil. Um, James as well. That was your red agenda. Of course, the Milan game coming up. We'll be back later in the week to preview Gerard's return with Aston Villa. See you then.